All right, let's take our Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Tonight, we're going to talk about tribulation. Not just any tribulation. We're not talking about tribulation in terms of difficulties that people may face every now and then. We're not even talking about the tribulation we might face in being persecuted. This is the great tribulation. It is an important element of what will happen at the end of time. It is referred to as the tribulation because it is a time of trouble. I mean, that's really all the term it would mean, tribulation just meaning trouble, and in this case, extreme trouble. But, but this period of time is distinct, again, from other forms of tribulations, that trials and tribulations that people may have. This is, this is God-created, God-induced. Uh, it is a tribulation that comes upon, pri- primarily the focus is on the unbelieving and rebellious world. And so it, it's an important part of what will happen at the end. Last week, we talked about the rapture of the church, laid out the options that we have, and there's a lot of different ones, but the track we're going to be riding along um, is, uh, is the one that for sure is the most hopeful of them, and that is that the church will be snatched away just prior to this period of time that we're going to start talking about tonight but it for sure is going to take us a few weeks to work our way through all the material dealing with it. I mean, this, this, this has probably, I guess, the tribulation, for sure when it comes to the book of Revelation, the tribulation occupies by far the most amount of space. Beginning in Revelation chapter 6 and going to chapter 19 up into the second coming, all of that all of that deals in some way or another with this period of time described as the tribulation, as God pouring out His wrath on the unbelieving world. Now, over the course of time, as we studied this section then of eschatology, I'll get into the numbers and the years and and elements related to a timeline, but just for the sake of clarity right off the bat, we are talking about what traditionally, at least in our, probably in our context, what m- most of you would, would have been taught and what you're familiar with is the tribulation being a literal seven-year period of time that immediately follows the rapture of the church, but also precedes the second coming. So those would be kind of the, the bookends, uh, so to speak, the, you know, the, the, the rapture kind of beginning, being a, an instigating moment uh, for this transition to this final week, so to speak, of the earth's history, at least as we know it, and then capping off then with the second coming of Christ. So this period of time, but you get into a lot of different numbers. You get into, you know, uh, uh, 1,260 weeks. Uh, you get in then to a 70th week language. You, you get, there's all kinds of numbers associated We'll try and weed our way through that for tonight. Our purpose is just to go ahead and get our hearts and minds into what the, what the Bible teaches about the tribulation in its most fundamental sense. And, and I thought that it would be most helpful just to turn to Jesus' own instruction. And so, again, talking about the tribulation, we are talking about that period of time 
that, that really the world has never known judgment like this. The only other judgment that would be compared to it would be the flood, biblically. Now, that's not without then intent, right? That at the beginning of the story in Genesis, we have the flood, and at the end of the story, we have then this accounting of God's judgment. So, it does provide important elements to the way the story began and the way the story is going to end, that the way the story ends is in reverse of the way the story began. Does that make sense to say it that way? It reverses itself, all right? So, what was perfection, falling into sin, and judgment, so then we have judgment, then rescue, and then perfection again, all right? So, you see how that kind of nicely mirrors, once again, almost as if the same person wrote the book, right? As if God is responsible for all of it. So, it's amazing how all that works out. So again, this is the period we're going to be talking about. If you were to read the book of Revelation, if you've been reading along in that, and we'll spend a lot of time in the weeks to come on this, uh, you'll see Revelation describes three successive waves of judgment. Uh, The seal judgments, what are called the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And and again, it comes in, in in these waves, one after another, with increasing intensity. So if, that, if that's what you've got in your mind, thinking about tribulation, we'll get to that. But for now, we're going to take some time working through Jesus' teaching and going ahead and addressing one of the most mysterious elements of it all, and that is what is called the abomination of desolation. All right, so, so we're, we're going to begin by reading. So Mark chapter 13, it's actually a, a teaching we've already looked at on our first week together in this teaching kind of setting the stage for what, how we were going to study the end times. You know, we took some time and, and worked our way through Jesus' statements to His disciples about the end times, making sure we understood what marks the end and what doesn't. So, the presence of warfare, the presence of natural disasters. You read the passage before what we're about to read. These things do not indicate the end times. These are, these are not elements that the end is coming. These, are, these might be birth, birth pangs of a sort, but Jesus makes it clear you're going to hear about these things. The presence of false teachers, this is not a sign of the end of times. Wars and rumors of wars, not the sign of an end of times. These are the way things are going to be starting now. So, so we already looked at all of that, and, and even their own persecution. He warns them, he says, so you're going to be uh, you're going to be persecuted, the gospel is going to be preached, you're going to be arrested, um, they're, they're, they're going to even put you to death. But then he finally does give a sign, because this is what the guys are asking for. They want to know a sign of the end. And so beginning in verse 14, here's what he says. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, Standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. 
For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been been since the beginning of the creation, creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom He chose, He shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, He is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send His angels and gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth, the farthest part of heaven. So what what Jesus lays out for us then is, is just this. This period of time that will take place just prior to His coming and, and he gives this teaching as a way, again, to answer the question the disciples had asked him. So what will be a sign of these things? When will these things take place? Because he'd made a bold statement. There's not going to be a stone left on any of this temple. They were impressed with the temple. He said not a stone will be left on top of one another. And so, so what will be the sign? And so then he tells them. He says, all right, here's the sign. When you see the abomination of desolation. And notice a couple of interesting f- phrases. Mark then adds, for the sake of the reader, let the reader understand. That would be great if me as the reader could understand, all right? This odd reference. I say odd. I mean, it's not odd. It does show up in the book of Daniel. But, but we do need to do some digging to figure out what he's talking about. And then the way he ended that statement in verse 23, but take heed, see, I've told you all things beforehand. Have you? Really? I mean, there are a few questions, though, I still have, right? When he says, I've told you all things, he doesn't literally mean, I've told you everything there is. He is saying, I've told you all I think you need to know. Sometimes that's a tough message to hear from God, right? All right? That's not the sermon for tonight or the teaching, but that's good, a good reminder to us. Uh, we would love God to say all kinds of things, but you don't get to decide what God tells you and doesn't tell you. So he tells them, I've told you. This is all you're going to get. <laughs> this, this is sufficient for you at this point. So he lays out three broad descriptions of the end of time, this tribulation period. Number one, It'll be a time of idolatry and blasphemy. I think the first thing that he's identifying here is a time of idolatry and blasphemy. So again, verse 14, he makes the statement, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. Now the reason why we're going to deal with this now just so we can go ahead and have an understanding of it. But let me go ahead and give you a bit of the timeline. I think this event will take way halfway through the seven-year period of tribulation. But this seems to be the climactic moment of the tribulation period other than the second coming itself. So so in other words, Jesus saying, so this abomination of desolation, this, this is evidence that all of these things are in fact the end of time. 
When you see the abomination of desolation, which, by the way, Daniel prophesied, it's funny that he gives that detail as if that explains it, right? You know, like Daniel said, and like all these guys are going to say, oh, oh, all right. By the way, do any of you think for one moment that Peter understood what Jesus was talking about? I don't think for one moment he did, all right? I don't think John understood it at this point. I don't think James understood it at this point. These guys have not shown a good ability to discern what Jesus is teaching, but he certainly expects them to have some understanding and appreciation for this reference when you see the abomination of desolation. All right, so taking that phrase just as it is, you don't need much more than to recognize it's really, really bad, right? So well, what does it mean if something is an abomination? Anyone? Well, I mean, it would be, I mean, what does the word, what does it mean for something to be an abomination? What is, an, go ahead, Amber. Okay, it's horrible, all right. Bad, I think I heard. Okay, something that God hates. And yes, abortion would count, by the way, Bill. Yes, <laughs> just in case you're wondering, yes. Anybody else? Abomination, all right. Yeah, so something of significant wickedness and depravity, almost as if this typifies the sin. An abomination is that which seems to, to its greatest degree, express the wickedness of the human heart, an abomination. And I think what is important here, and Michael had brought up the connection here, something that God hates. Biblically speaking, an abomination is something that is uniquely offensive to the holiness of God. You'll find it often involves either morality or worship. Often that which is called an abomination is connected with the way uh, false worship would happen, idolatry would happen. So we already have an, uh, some insight here. So an abomination is something that, that, that is, it is purely blasphemous against God, something that he hates. So what does then desolation mean? How would you understand then the word desolation? Okay, no hope, all right. Destroyed, okay? So here's how the phrase then could be stated. So we're talking about an abomination, something that God hates, something that's pure blasphemy, uh, an expression of wickedness to its nth degree, and then the, word, then the language of desolation, that which has been destroyed, that, that which has been leveled or something made desolate, the, the phrase then should be understood in those terms. In other words, to lay it all out, maybe in a way that more clearly identifies it. Because again, Mark very clearly believes the reader should understand. So the abomination of desolation could be stated like this, the abomination that makes things desolate. All right? So just to, just to kind of put those words together. Because when you just see abomination of desolation, just kind of a weird set of words to put together. But what it's describing is, is this moment so abhorrent to God that, that it, is, it, it, it is what invites destruction. The abomination then that occurs that makes it desolate. And that desolation can come in two forms. One, the act is so severe 
that, that, that it, 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 it is of no, no value whatsoever. So it robs worship of everything that it should be and, and invites then this intense wrath of God. So the abomination that, that makes it desolate, that desolates, okay? That utterly destroys. Now, notice another word here. When you see the abomination of desolation <clears throat> spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. That's a weird way to put it, isn't it? I say weird. You know what I mean when I say that. I don't mean the Bible's weird. I just mean when you think of an abomination of desolation, your first thought would, would be purely connected with an event, right? Something that happens that then invites the wrath of God. But this is described as standing, this says to me, this is something more than an event. This involves a person. So, so we already have some clues here that I think are getting us a little closer to the strangeness of this phrase, the abomination of desolation. So something takes place that invites the fierce wrath of God because it is so blasphemous. And at the same time, it is it is being perpetrated by someone, and it's standing. And that, that suggests to me, you know, uh, a, a, almost a type of rebellion, a type of defiance. The abomination of desolation being where it ought not, standing, be, being erected, being presented in a, in a place where it should not be. All right. All right, Pastor. So, let's, let's, let's move a little bit deeper. Okay, you're going to have to do some... Bible turning. All right, you ready? So he said it's in Daniel. Well, let's go find it. So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. This is part of the book of Daniel that um, does not get told in children's Sunday school classes. You get a lot of the first six chapters of Daniel, right? The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to eat the food. And that whole story, of course, the fiery furnace. We know the, perhaps the story of the, the writing on the wall. Right? The, the, the finger of God appearing out of nowhere, declaring judgment. And then, of course, Daniel in the lion's den. But the rest, the rest of the book, half of the book, is devoted to end times. It, 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 is the, it, it is as extensive a teaching on the end times as you have in the Old Testament, just about. I mean, with the exception of perhaps the, 